orchestrated for this year's marathon, and it comes from DJ Spin DeWila, who I suspect might have something to do with the podcast Wheel of Randy. The Internet's preeminent song-by-song Randy Newman podcast, which I was thrilled to be on not once but twice. Do I know much about Randy Newman? No, I do not. Did I have a great time? Yes, I did. So, mashing up Anthony Daniels, Bon Jovi, and Happy Flowers, let us enjoy Butcher and the Stars. Welcome back to Wheel of Randy, folks. The the five week long project just to hold me over until the pandemic ends. Welcome to episode fifty six as we continue our lockdown, and we have uh, we've got a real get today, folks. We have the one and only Jesse Thorne. Thanks for spinning the Wheel of Randy with us, Jesse. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, know you from from Maximum Fun, from Jordan Jesse Go, from Bullseye. What else you got going on? You seem like the kind of person who has twenty projects going on. I'm, think, I'm thinking about opening an antique store. Mm. I've been looking at real estate. It's very expensive in Los Angeles, but um, basically my dream is just to sit around in an antique store that never sells anything. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, the, the, the antique market around here was was very. Uh, very low key, rural, very affordable, and and then someone just opened up a place called Dead People's Stuff, and mm-hmm. it's twice the price of everybody else, and it's it's just kind of wrecked the antiques market around here. But people love <laughs> going to Dead People's Stuff. My mother in law talks about it all the time. I'd love to go there myself. I'm I'm already sold on that. <laughs> oh my gosh! So first question out of the bat, I. I need to know a little bit about uh, your origin, specifically how you ended up uh, doing business with NPR. Because oh. at, at first, that doesn't seem like a, a real uh, typical fit for them. So how, how did that happen? Well, you know, my whole thing. So my show, Jordan, Jesse Go, is a very silly, uh, very vulgar comedy podcast. And I do a show called Judge John Hodgman with uh, the actor and humorist john hodgman writer and humorist uh, yes we've, we uh we, fr- friend of the show uh jason sims was was on there uh, oh yeah for the sadvent tree very very oh, early judge john hodgman a classic show. judge john hodgman where he was ordered to have an aluminum pole in his shed yes <laughs> in the winter season um and uh yeah like those things are those things are a little different from what i do on bullseye which is my npr show which is like a a pretty traditional arts and culture interview show at this point but Mm -hmm. that was actually kind of the start of all of it that 
has been my every week radio show since I was 19 in college radio. Um, it used to have a different name, but it's been contiguously produced uh, for the last 20 years now. And, um, you know, my goal was always to be a public radio host. Podcasting came along and I started podcasting at the beginning of podcasting uh, in 2004-ish. And, uh, you know, that ended up being the main way I make my living, frankly, and an opportunity to do a lot of stuff I couldn't do on public radio. But, you know, I've, I've always loved doing my public radio show, and it grew from college radio show to local public radio station show to, you know, on a few stations to with uh, Public Radio International. And then I've been with NPR for about, I don't know, six or seven years now. And, um, you know, I'm certainly their least successful non-music show, but um, <laughs> I'm, I'm proud to be part. I'm proud to be part of NPR. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to uh, tell your dentist you do for a living. <laughs> I, I, I really enjoy your, your interviews on, on Bullseye because you're, you're not afraid to, uh, you're not afraid to put down uh, your, your guests a notch once or twice. <laughs> uh, I, I particularly enjoyed the, the Dick Van Dyke uh, episode where you uh, made fun of his nose and made fun of his Cockney accent. And I was just thinking, you know, I, I can't see Terry Gross getting away with this. In the context of my my obvious deep and sincere appreciation for Dick Van Dyke, who is a lovely, lovely man. If I felt I was going to make Dick Van Dyke feel bad, I never would have done it. And I didn't <laughs> make, he was, he took it. It, he he took it in the in the tone it was intended. Um, yeah, I mean, usually people are usually people feel like I'm too reverential with my guests, if anything. Um, but it's because you know it's my show. So if someone is on Bullseye, it's because I think they're good. Um, and you know, one of the people that was on Bullseye was our own Randall Newman. That's uh, how I first came across you. In fact, was was there was a, a lot of chatter. Uh, when, when when that interview came out, and I got to tell you, I made myself not listen to it for a okay. long, long time uh, because I, I feel like the more I get to know the actual Randy Newman, uh, the the more I, I realize that that uh, how he is this talented fiction writer, mm-hmm. and that everything that I've uh, have attributed to his personality over the years has, has nothing to do with the actual man. Well, I mean, I think. I I understand that feeling because I avoided watching my friend John Ronson's television documentary about Randy Newman mm-hmm. out of a combination of that feeling and also just regular jealousy. Um, <laughs> I was just mad that John Ronson got to take a flight from England and go to Randy Newman's house. Um, Is that the unfortunately documentary? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's okay. right. Yeah. Um, it's on, it's on YouTube. I think that's where I watched it anyway. Um and uh, yeah, I mean, like I've interviewed enough celebrities and people whose work I admire at this point to that I am um, sort of the opposite of jaded about it. Uh, I have just come to I'm no longer that worried about it, usually. Um, and the reason is that I have found that having done this a thousand times or so, um, the people whose work I like and admire tend to both be interesting and generally admirable people and people, you know, just mm. 
people, you know, like they happen to be particularly bright or talented, certainly, you know, like nobody's going to say Pedro Almodovar is not, you know, uh, is not a genius, mm -hmm. but um, that doesn't make them superhuman. He's just a guy, you know, like when he's sitting in a room with you, he's just a guy. And outside of the occasional extraordinarily good-looking person, which still makes me a little uncomfortable, <laughs> whether it's a dude lady or otherwise, like, um, I'm, I'm still, like, if, like, Elizabeth Banks is in there, there's, like, a little bit of, like, geez, movie stars are good-looking. Gina <laughs> Davis was on the show one time, and, you know, Gina Davis is, I guess, 55 or 60. I don't remember how old she is right now, but, like... Um, she just has movie star presence, you know, and that, sure. that is a little awe-inspiring. But other than that, um, other than that, I don't find it. I find that I'm pretty okay with talking to people because I'm just used to them turning out to be human beings. And with Randy Newman, it was a, it was a similar situation. Like, I really love Randy Newman and his music. And he came in and, you know, he's just a funny Randy Newman-y guy. You know what I mean? He was great. He had a lot of insights. He was very funny. Um, and uh, generally speaking, I, I think if you talk to people like a person, they respond like a person. I, I especially liked when, when, when the two of you started talking about the, the design of the helmets for the tour defense. <laughs> all, all I could think about was, this is your moment talking to Springsteen about a woodblock. <laughs> you've just found the most mundane thing to connect about. Well, you know, it's funny. Like, I think that um, probably the most, the most reported back to me or reflected back to me moment in the history of my show is this moment where I was interviewing Big Boy from Outcast. Who is I've, heard, just... I, I've had several people say that I've got to hear your Big Boy show. Yeah, so it was it was great. I actually just interviewed him again with with Sleepy Brown uh, from Organized Noise, um, the uh, production group that signed and, and produced a lot of Outcast's records. Um, and also the singer who's on a lot of outcast uh, songs. Right. He, he, uh, I like the way you move. That's him, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And um, and Sleepy and Big Boy are like best buds uh, since they were 18 or whatever. So they were a great interview together. But yeah, that original Big Boy interview, there's this moment where, you know, Big Boy's real insistent that he, for important reasons, I think, to clarify that he was the good student of Between Him and Andre. <laughs> and that he was the one who dressed crazy. Uh, like people think Andre is the crazy smart one, and and Big Boy is like the is like the street corner one. Uh, and like Big Boy was talking about making his own clothes, and I'm like, this is great. And he said he he had this outfit he called his Raspberry Surprise, and it was like a jumpsuit that he had dyed that he had dyed pink. And <laughs> I was and I said. You mean like with Rit dye? And he goes, he goes, what you know about that Rit dye? <laughs> <laughs> and, and like often, you know, often in, in an interview, it's something that I still struggle with. It's something that actually Terry Gross is exceptionally good at. It's I didn't easy. mean to make fun of Terry. Oh, Gross, no, no, not at all. Not at all. I, I have a, I'm Mike a little different. Least. I'm a little different from TG, but she's definitely my hero. It's something that Terry's really good at, which is, you know, the specifics are what are most interesting. So it's very easy to speak vaguely about something. But when you hear an interesting specific, it's, it's always a good idea to pull on that thread. And it's the same principle as in 
improv. Like the scene starts typically in improv from the first unusual circumstance, the first the first specific thing that is distinctive. You know, different improv teachers have different names for that. But generally, you know, you come out and say, uh, you know, hi, can I can I buy a Coke? And and you go through a regular conversation until you notice something that stands out and then you pull on that thread. Um, you know, it might be, uh, it, you know, it, it might be like, well, we have eight different kinds of Coke, you know. Well, all of a sudden that's distinctive. That's something, right? Uh-huh. And it's the same as asking, oh, you mean like with writ dye, right? You know, like it is that it is that specificity that that makes it pop, that makes it something special. Uh, I, I have several questions specifically about your Randy interview. Um, <laughs> I'll because... see if I can remember. Well, yeah, I'm I'm sure that that I have guests who who have listened to it many many more times than I have that probably have their own. In in minute 23, you said, but just off the top of my head, the the songs that that you you brought up with him uh, was a really good mix of songs. Uh, Talked about My Life is Good, uh, talked about Simon Smith. Uh, and I, th- there were some fairly deep cuts that, that, that you asked him about. Uh, if you had 20 more minutes with him and it was just just you and him and it wasn't the audience expecting it, it, it is there some little thing from one of his songs that you'd really want to, to, to pester him about? Just just get, well, get I into mean, a little detail about. <laughs> the thing I would, I, I did pester him about my life is good and they're like i'm sure that many of your listeners enjoy funny music and will disagree with me about this but i find almost no music funny (laughs) (laughs) i am a really passionate comedy fan in addition to being you know making comedy adjacent material myself Uh and like as a rule any music that's supposed to be fun. I, I just find that the qualities of funniness and the qualities of music are different qualities. Like that element of surprise um, of the pieces fitting together in an unusual way is that make things funny to me is, is different from the feeling that the sort of depth feeling that comes from listening to music. That means you can listen to it over and over and over. That yeah. said, you know, and like I, I mostly listen to, I'm mostly listening to urban music in my free time and um you like know Keith Urban yeah mostly just Keith Urban mm-hmm. um Urban Shocker the Hall of Fame or near Hall of Fame baseball pitcher he made a few records Urban <laughs> Meyer the, yeah and we're running out of uh people named Urban here yeah, yeah. um uh, we're going to have to start going with people named Urban yeah like uh, you know there's funny rappers but most rappers I don't really you know I don't really want to hear funny jokey rappers. Like it just ends up being cute more than funny. Um, probably on that my note, favorite. On that note, has there ever been a skit on a hip hop album that has worked? Oh, wow. I mean, I think that like, I, I think that this, the skits on the Prince Paul produced De La Soul records are the closest thing. Okay. Um, but I mean, I still skip them. Like they're a thing which is more than can be said of almost any other hip hop skit. But um, yeah, I'm not interested in them. I would say, you know, there's a, there's these two master ace albums, disposable arts and long hot summer. They're sort of narrative. Um, 
and those aren't really intended necessarily to be funny, but I find them, the narrative parts, moderately compelling. They're not as yeah. good as the songs. They're really great albums. Okay, I'm going to steer us back out of the ditch. Yeah. Were, so anyway, like my, like my, probably my favorite rapper of all time is Devin the Dude. And he's a funny rapper, but he's not a jokey rapper. It's more about his sort of perspective on the world. And um, so generally speaking, I don't find music funny. Like I, I have nothing but respect and admiration for Weird Al Yankovic, for example, but don't really have any interest in listening to a Weird Al Yankovic album as an adult. Um, respect is such a perfect word there. Yeah. He's an incredible craftsman. And in my experience, a super nice dude and yeah. a really bright dude. And he really cares about good stuff. And, you know, he puts on a great show, as I understand. I've never seen him live, but I've heard it's really fun. And yeah, I, it, I, like it, if somebody invited me to go see Weird Al Yankovic, I would absolutely go. I he is blast, surprisingly but, athletic. Uh, but um, puts on a great show. But yeah, like I think my friend, my, I'm, I'm friends with this singer-songwriter named Jonathan Colton. And I think he's... I think, again, like what's funny about his songs comes from kind of a deep emotional place. Like it's very perspective driven more than jokey. Like he's got some good jokes in there, but um, it's more when it's when it's moving. But anyway, this is a long way to say generally, you know, with the occasional Loudon Wainwright song accepted, I don't really find funny music funny. But that song, I think I could listen to it and laugh at the jokes indefinitely through the course of the rest of my life. Like, it's, it is so funny. Uh, it is funny as a funny, funny thing. You know, like it is like a, funny in the way that, you know, Holy Grail or Airplane or something. Like, I could just laugh at it. And to, to me, the funniest part of it, and I wouldn't even say it's a joke, but it's just just this this thing that shocks you back into the song is is uh right before the springsteen story he drops the word teacher and you realize oh my god this entire time he's been yelling at this teacher (laughs) yeah i mean like it it also you know like a lot of randy newman stuff and that song was actually that song was introduced to me many many years ago by this guy brian stack who is um he was a longtime writer and performer on Conan. He writes for Colbert now um, because he wanted to move back to New York. And um, he's just one of the kindest guys in the history of the world and a huge music fan, like a really serious music fan. And he sent me that. He's like, this is the only funny song. (laughs) I was like, okay. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like that song really captures an LA thing. And I've lived in LA for like, I guess about 15 years now. Um, And it captures a kind of West side rich person, LA entitlement that he, he makes a lot of fun of because he's really familiar with it. Sure. Um, but that's the one that is the funniest. Like there's, he has a lot of songs about greed and entitlement being funny. Um, but that is the one where, you know, I mean, can you think of anything funnier than <laughs> we talked about some kind of woodblock or something? <laughs> I, I'm so glad that, that that you brought that up in, in, in your interview, and, and he basically says, "Yeah, that's that's just a, a, a moment of of the cocaine taking over uh, in this character's life." It's like, oh, thank God, I don't have to spend the next 15 years researching woodblocks and figuring yeah. out what he's referring to here. But you know, it's funny. I interviewed DJ Quick one time. Uh, who's a great rapper and one of the greatest hip hop producers ever. And one of the things that I had the most fun talking to him about 
is he has this kind of signature sound in his beats. And it's this percussion instrument that is sort of like one of those rubber ball massagers that's on the end of a like a straight metal spring that you like boink, boink, boink into the back of your back. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Only it's it's tuned. Um, and so it makes a sort of spro- a tuned sproyoyoying sound. Okay. Is is that the same instrument that uh, that uh, Bill Withers used that was driving Sharpling crazy for so long? It's like, what is this <laughs> instrument? It may it may very it may very well be. Um, Bill Withers is really funny, by the way. Um, really, but uh, yeah, as a, as a as a guy, certainly I mean, his songs sometimes too. But um, as a guy, he, he was really funny. Hmm. Um, but he was that kind of I don't no bullshit funny, you know, like a <laughs> see see through you kind of funny. Uh-huh. Um, but anyway, uh, I asked DJ Quick about this instrument, and his eyes just lit up. And that stayed in the cut, you know, like that. We we played that on the radio because it's those kinds of little things that are like magical. Like why? Like obviously, there's a reason DJ Quick loves the sproyoying thing, and he considers himself the king of it. If you're wondering, <laughs> <laughs> he, he has a particular kind he prefers and gets for free. Um, and it was great. It was it was a magical moment. Some kind of woodblock or something. Wow. <sighs> I'm tired. Would you be the boss for a while? <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> it's just hard being Bruce Springsteen. He's wondering if Randy Newman could take it over for him. And, and just the thought that it that uh, it's, it's uh, this isn't Menudo. You can't just you know, right. hand over and, the ring. And also just the the idea that uh, Bruce Springsteen's looking for somebody to take over, and it's not Little Steven or whatever. It's Randy Newman. <laughs> It, oh, it makes great. it makes me wonder how much of what he's telling this teacher, and I know we're getting stuck on this. How much of what he's telling this teacher is is a lie? Is he really going to 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 poke his friend's wife? Is he really going to you know get some good cocaine for his? Well, okay, the cocaine he's clearly not lying about, but right. Uh, it, it it seems like he's so desperate to to not so much impress this teacher, but to 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 deflect from any form of criticism uh, that he's willing to say anything, whether it's true or not. Yeah, I mean, I think it's about you know a lot of Randy Newman songs are about delusion. I mean, a lot of comedy is about delusion, but a lot of Randy Newman songs are about delusion, and that's one of them, right? It's about the quest. It's in show business, right? there is this question of where does the delusion end and the deception begin, right? Well, that like, goes back to what, what you're saying, that if it's someone whose work you admire, you, you find that they're a person. Uh, and at the same time, if someone's doing you know, schlocky work or, or doing whatever it takes to sell, uh, you know, maybe they're not that good a person. In the end. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I support people doing schlocky work, you know, like that's part of the being a person piece of it, right? Like I interviewed Christopher Walken the other day uh-huh. and God knows Christopher Walken's done a pile of garbage. You know what sure. I mean? It doesn't make him any less one of the great character actors of his generation. Um or one of the most incredible guys. And in fact, I would argue that doing a pile of garbage is a big part of what makes Christopher Walken, Christopher Walken. He's a pro, right? He's a guy that works. I, I, He's been heard, working since he was eight years old. Wow. I've heard you say the same thing about Tom Arnold, just 
just you, well, that's, you look at, I mean, if you look at his cocaine, movies, right? But just, like Tom yeah. Arnold came in and like Tom Arnold is probably if I was going to pick a guest in the history of my show who has done the most bad work, it's probably <laughs> Tom Arnold. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Tom Arnold has worked on a lot of garbage, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. But you talk to Tom Arnold and you understand exactly how he became a movie star, despite being just a total, you know, goofy looking doof. You know what sure. I mean? Yeah. Like he is an extraordinary person. And I don't, I can't speak to whether his, you know, his, his wild like campaign against Trump and all those things were symptoms of, you know, uh, mania or real things. Cause I don't know enough about them. Um, but I can tell you that like when he says he became a comedian because Andy Kaufman came to the college town near the town in Iowa where, where he lived and he found him on the street and said, I want to be a comedian. And Andy Kaufman said, you should just become a comedian. Mm. Like that's pretty incredible. And I can tell you that Tom Arnold really is great in true lies. Cause I watched it relatively recently <laughs> and you know, like his, his passion is so extraordinary. And when you hear him talk about literally working in an abattoir, like literally being an employee in a slaughterhouse and seeing people's limbs get cut off, you know, yeah. his friend died in front of him, bled out and died in front of him. Wow. Um, and I, you think I, like he was I, in, in, and as he put it, like where I am from, that was the good job. I've got to find that because I, I, I spent a summer working for Mr. Tyson and no. I, I, I don't have friends who died, but I've, I've got stories. So anytime I can commiserate with someone, I've got to hear about that. Yeah. It involves it. It involves a nasty old hog that was about to get turned into pepperoni, oh, uh, goring the femoral artery of his friend. Man. Okay, so <laughs> Randy Newman songs. Randy Newman songs. Uh, before we get to the song you, you've chosen, uh, we we almost did Simon Smith today, yeah. uh, and I definitely want to spend some some time uh, on that because uh, Simon Smith is one of those songs that is is can be interpreted a hundred different ways, and I'd love to hear your spin on this song. Well, so this is. I don't want to say that it's my real for sure number one favorite Randy Newman song, but it's close. And it it's one of the ones that I relate to the most. It's one of the most personally significant for me because I don't do a lot of blow. Um, the longer I live in Los Angeles, the more I understand the tone of I Love L.A., which I always had thought of as just being contemptuous, but now I understand that. Well, that's because you're Northern California, right? Yes, exactly. So, <laughs> LA and contempt go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, but like with Simon Smith, it is, you know, we were, I was talking just now about the, the tension between deception and delusion that animates an entertainer yes and to me that's what simon smith is about it's about the lie that we as entertainers tell ourselves which is that the approbation of an audience the love of an audience is real love mm. and so you know this is you know it's a song about 
a boy and a bear, which is, you know, there could be no lower form of entertainment, right? Uh, There's, it's one step above Davy the fat boy. Right. But <laughs> I we're, mean, we're, 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 we're still talking, you know, lower end carny entertainment here. Yes. Exactly. It, it's, it is not art, right? And I think that he is, he is not saying that to put it down. Right. He is not depicting it to put it down. I think he is saying that, like, to make someone laugh is to make someone laugh. Right. Like that it it is in some ways an absolute thing. Right. To delight someone is the job is the work of an entertainer. And it sort of is what it is. Right. It is valuable in the world. Right. But it is also it's not even it's not Chaplin or even, you know, Mel Brooks. Right. Right. And. It immediately, it's, it starts with the idea of going out and impressing people, but it immediately, in the first line, undercuts itself with the idea that this is someone who wants to go out and be fancy, but literally needs to borrow a coat. Yes. Right? So that is, you know, does, is this person living in the deluded world where they believe that they are a grand success and that people love them for it? Um, or are they a success, but nonetheless <laughs> undercompensated <laughs> and not <laughs> beloved? Or, are, or do people actually love them for what they do, right? All those things kind of exist in the same stream and the idea that he qualifies the smile as being sincere, right? Yeah. Like, there's no literally sincere smile that needs to be qualified as sincere. <laughs> <laughs> but that also doesn't necessarily mean that it's insincere, right? It is, it lives in that liminal space. And I think that's very true of a lot of kind of American entertainment and popular culture from the late 19th to the early 20th century, which is this time when everything is in flux, rural is becoming urban, um, you know, the the culture is transforming itself. And before we get to what you might call modern culture, you know, jazz and after, everything is in this in-between space where besides urban, besides urban and rural, there's also faith and non-faith, right? Like, things there is science and not science right um there are all, all these things that are kind of living in an in-between world and this this sits very comfortably in that place right carnivals pt barnum these are all things where it's like is it a lie or not is is not the point right anyway so to me the idea of they they love us and feed us one following from the other when right. they don't follow, you know, paying someone to do something is not the same as loving them. And that both of those things are formed as questions, right? Yeah. 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 Is, is he um, asking out of insecurity? Right. Exactly. And the prospect of, of just the, the capper on everything being, it, it's just amazing how fair people can be. And you just think like, is that, is that so? <laughs> I, uh, I, I always think of uh, that that routine from David Cross, uh, where he he sits at he sits at the bus station in L.A. and watches people come in and say, "I'm going to make it because I was the lead at, in Brigadoon in my high school, and <laughs> I've got it." 
Uh, and yeah. I, I think I think there's this kind of I, I call it healthy delusion uh, that that every creative you know person does that I, whether they're doing it for success or or just enough to to eat or, or or for for the adulation of people whose opinion they respect for one reason or another, you're really pouring a whole lot more of creative energy into what you're doing than people are going to spend listening to it. Yeah. I think that's one of the hardest things about being a public figure. And like, obviously I'm a marginal public figure. Like I'm, uh-huh. I'm not, don't delude myself about my place in American popular culture, which is near the bottom. But, um, but you know, there's whatever, tens of thousands of people who, who give a care about my work. Right. Mm-hmm. Sure. And one of the hardest things about that is their understanding of who I am is based on my art, but even the most ardent of them are seeing a narrow piece of what, of who I am. And they're seeing it as a tiny, tiny piece of who they are and what their experience is. Right. Like, it's like the my most ardent fan they like know as much about me as they about like who i am as as they know about like a cousin that visits once a year <laughs> okay you know what i mean like yeah. it's not that they don't know anything about me or that i'm being dissembling but just it's they have a lot in their life and so you know i'm i'm like as Erica Badu once said so brilliantly, speaking of people, speaking of how songs aren't funny, Erica Badu's funny. Um, but like, you know, Erica famously said on that one record, you know, I'm an artist, and so I'm sensitive about my shit. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I'm sensitive about my shit, even though it's stupid, you know. And um, one time my therapist, this was a long time ago, former therapist said to me, he said, Jesse, do these people know you? And I was like, okay, fair enough. They don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And you know, when they talk about your art, they're talking about themselves just like I am when I talk about Randy Newman. Right. Yeah. Um, and that is a, that's something that you have to accept or learn to live with or resolve for yourself that even if you're whatever, if you're Rauschenberg or you're, you know, I don't know why I picked Rauschenberg, but yeah, if you're I'll, Leonardo, I'll look that up later. Yeah. Leonardo da Vinci or your um, Kurosawa or something, you are one of the greatest artists in your form who's ever lived. You're 1% of someone's understanding of the world and they have a 30% understanding of you. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and when you make people laugh and that's your art, well, gosh, you know, what does that even mean, right? Like, to what extent is that about finding meaning? To what extent is it just about a physical reaction to surprise? You know, I mean, it's a mixture. Yeah. But, like, it really makes you consider, like, what is it to be an artist if that is your art, right? And what is it to think that you have that you have meaning in people's lives and that they value you? And, in fact, you know, when you this is true of all artists, but I think particularly of comedy people, like if you are trying to get approval, if you are trying to gain love, like, is that real? No, of course it isn't. You're, Mm. it is a momentary fleeting, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Um, And to me, that's what that's, that's what this song is about is it's not, you know, like in contrast to David Cross, who in my experience, my, my modest experience in real life is a really sweet guy, but his work is pretty cynical 
um, often cynical. Right. Um, like, I don't even think it's a cynical song. Like, it's about this tragedy, but it is very sympathetic to Simon Smith. Like, it's about his delusion that people actually care about him. Right. But it isn't about the idea that, like, making like making people laugh is worthless. It's oh, just no, about no, the... No. Yeah, it's just about the fact that, like, to do it, we just have to kind of wander into this abyss with a smile on our face, you know? I mean, I, I, I've got to tell you, it, it, if you saw my listener numbers, you never would have agreed to this show. <laughs> but I keep, I keep pouring, I'm not pouring into it, but I had done two or three open mics. Uh, I started in maybe a year before the pandemic, and, and uh, my, my friend Wampus texted me after the, the second one, and he said, you've got the bug yet? I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I've, I've got a career. I'm not, don't have any delusions of, of, of leaving the Midwest and trying to do anything professionally. But yeah, I'll, I'll borrow that coat and try to get a couple of laughs from people I respect. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's kind of beautiful in that. Like, I, I've been learning to play it on the, sing it and play it on the ukulele, uh, which is. Oh, it's such a great ukulele song. That's yeah, it's this, the sum total of my musical talent is, you know, 12 chords on a ukulele. What um, else do you need? My musical skill, let's say. Maybe, I'm, <laughs> maybe I have deep wells of untapped talent. But, uh, yeah, like the reason, the reason I chose it, and I sing a little bit in the Judge John Hodgman live shows, and I think I'm going to do it in, in, in when, we, when we get back out on the road, um, is because I think it is like, it's such a charming music hall song, you know, it's a big hit for a music hall guy, like an old timey entertainer in England. Right. It, it has that charm, but it is so fundamentally tragic. Um, and you know, it's, it's no insight on a Randy Newman show to say how often Newman is able to reveal both sides of something, both, both the, sincere and the ironic without being judgmental of either you know right. like once in a while there's a there's just a a satirical song that's just satirical but you know even you know th i mean sail away <laughs> <laughs> is a song that is like it is a sincerely moving and beautiful song that both gives the lie to america uh -huh. and gives you an understanding of how a human being could enslave people. Yeah. Like it is about the big lie of the fundamental justice of the, of, of our nation and its history. But like it also acknowledge, like it, it honors the humanity of a person who's doing literally the worst thing a human being could do. Have you heard Ray Charles's version? You know, I the um, maybe we even uh, uh, maybe we even played it on the show, but I really like Etta James's version. Yeah, I do too. The the way she uh, the, you hear her react to buckwheat cake. Yeah. Just kind of this, ugh. <laughs> yeah, and those are great, man. Etta James, those the, the the album that that's on, and there's there's one I think right before it that has a song called uh, "Out on the Streets Again." And like Etta James never really found her footing commercially after At Last, which was her first record. Mm -hmm. Like she continued to be successful, like she wasn't unsuccessful, but like she could never figure out where she was in the triangle of 
soul singer, blues singer, and jazz singer um, commercially. But man, like there's a few of those records in the seventies um, when she was sort of past her prime as a, as a, you know, person selling records. They're really great. They're super great. Anyway, that's a, that's a real serious aside. Should let's we talk take... about God's song, the actual song that I'm supposed to be talking <laughs> yeah, about? We should, let's take a quick call first. A little bit of uh, listener mail and we will do God's song. Hey, Click and Clack, the famous Tappet Brothers. Long time, first time. I've got a uh, 1979 Chevy Despacito, and it's making a noise every time I try to start it where it'll go, and then, but if I hold down the clutch and try and start it, it then goes, or, uh, or what? I stole this car, so it's not mine. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. We've had some very. Did you just did you inherit the eight hundred number from Car Talk? Is that what's going on here? Uh, we we have very well meaning listeners, and sometimes they get a little turned around. Let's talk God's song. Yeah. In fact, folks, take a few minutes to listen to God's song. This is the last track on Sail Away, and once you've done that, unpause us, and we will be right back. Okay, Jesse, you, you chose just a just a brutal, brutal song here. What 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 made what made you go with God's song? Well, I think "Sail Away" is the first Randy Newman record I ever heard, which is you know that's a win for me. Yeah, me too. Me too. That's a great introduction. I was like nineteen or twenty, maybe, and um, I had this friend named Bill Weber who passed away about a year ago. Um, uh, he was actually a regular at my, my friend Stuart Wellington's bar in uh, Brooklyn for a long time. But I met him when I was a teenager, and I would go to the baseball nerd convention, the Society for American Baseball Research, Saber. Oh, my god! have an annual convention. I'd, I'd fly to it. You know, I'd go to it as a 17-year-old or whatever. And, um, you know, mostly it was like old guys arguing about the Brooklyn Dodgers. And, you know, it was basically a convention of Bernie Sanders's. Um <laughs> And the occasional like Midwestern guy who visited every baseball grave, um, like kept a list of them. But, uh, but anyway, I would go to the Sabre conventions and I, you know, it was hard to make friends. And this guy, Bill, um, he was sort of like, uh, he was sort of like a hipster nerd, um, Brooklyn guy, gay guy. He was maybe 30 ish at the time. Um, so, you know, I mean, there was nobody there that I could hang out with where it wasn't weird that they were hanging out with a 17 year old, but, uh, <laughs> he was one of the less weird ones. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, and, uh, a really good dude and kind of a, you know, kind of a harumphy. T- I bet he's too harumphy for Tom Sharpling. Um, oh my and, gosh. yeah. And, uh, one day I emailed, I don't remember what I had heard a Randy Newman song. I emailed him and he was sort of like. He knew about white people music, which I didn't really know anything about at the time. <laughs> and um, I emailed him about Randy Newman. I said, is Randy Newman maybe good? And he said, you know, I went and saw him in Central Park, and it was spectacular. And so I was like, I should check out Randy Newman, because maybe he actually is good. And I listened to Sail Away. And it's, you know, I mean, obviously, it's like a perfect album. Yeah. And this song is... You know, like we talked about how many of Newman's songs use irony of various kinds 
as a way to, you know, reveal truths. And often it's to be funny, you know, which is one of the main ways people use irony. But this is a, you know, this song is kind of, for me anyway, is like, it is a tearjerker. It is a tragedy about the a fundamental tragedy of, of human existence or life on earth. But, you know, it, it also, and a fundamental irony of life on earth, but it also is an inspirational song, both in the genreic sense, right? Like so many Randy Newman songs, you know, for a Jew, Randy Newman sure loves gospel music. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it is in its, in its own funny way, a gospel song, right? But it's also a song that inspires, um, like it's a song about the gospels, but it's also a song about why life has meaning and you know it also has that a, a special randy newman quality which is you know as i'm sure you know anytime you bring up randy newman to anyone they just talk about that one family guy joke sure. where randy newman is just singing about whatever passes by and like i would imagine that whoever wrote that joke loves randy newman but it's a dumb joke. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't work right. But what it does well, you know, get... and, and it's Will Sasso doing the voice and he's he's done a solid hour of Randy material over the years. So it's not yeah. like yeah, yeah, yeah. But um the thing that that gets right is, you know, he's singing about whatever wanders past, right? Mm-hmm. And as with, you know, my favorite rapper, Devin the Dude, like there is a fundamental quality of like ease or relaxation or ambling in Randy Newman's songs, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like what makes You've Got a Friend in Me so great is that you like, you know, the it's corny song. Right. But what sells it is that it really does have the quality of friendship, which is that kind of comfort and ease. Yeah, yeah. And it's like that, um, you know, that's the thing. There are aesthetic things too and sort of stylistic things too but like to me that's the thing that randy newman got from or gets from fats domino that is so wonderful which is like when you hear a fats domino song it just is like you know it's like an old pair of slippers no matter what he's singing about right yeah and so if you bring that quality to the idea of divinity, that is a very extraordinary thing. If you if you bring, for lack of a better word, humanity to the idea of God, that is a very powerful thing. And he does that without letting go of God's divinity. You know, like, it doesn't feel like this isn't God. You know, it's not George Burns. Right. Um pretending to be God. It is still God. It just, it just honors what God is rather than asking God to be something that it or he is not. Okay. This I'm, I'm, I'm catching my breath here because this is a completely different uh, spin on, on God's song than, than what I was expected. <laughs> what, I, what were you, what were you counting on? I, I've, I've always seen this as, you know, Randy's always described himself as, it's, you know, kind of a, a good natured atheist who has a love for gospel. Um, and I've always seen this, 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 uh, this song as presenting the argument. What if the atheist is the optimist? <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting um because just I, we we have to, to me we 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 have this this god who's who, uh, who's contemptuous of humans um and you know maybe that's my calvinist upbringing 
<laughs> that there's this 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 distaste for humanity uh, that, that that shines shines through in in, in, in this god. Uh, but to, I I really I'm intrigued by the idea of it being inspirational that this god truly does love mankind for its ridiculous optimism, maybe or faith, right? Like yeah. So I think that in a in a way, like what he says, he with a capital H, right? Right. In the song is can be at the beginning of the song can in in a way be taken literally in the sense that like when he says man means nothing, he means less to me than the lowliest cactus flower of the humblest yucca tree. Mm-hmm. What that means is not to me the way I hear it. It's not that he is contemptuous of mankind, but simply that mankind imagines itself to be at the center of the universe. <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. When in fact, God is concerned with the totality of the universe. And so God isn't mad at mankind for imagining itself to be at the middle. God doesn't hate people. It's just God is reminding us, I've got a lot to think about. <laughs> Like, I am I am the creator of everything. And so what is of interest to me, what is meaningful to me is the relationship between all the things in the world. And that means that he has infinite care for everything. I, 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 I'm reminded of, of, of the very end of the book of Jonah, that they describe the punchline of the book of Jonah, where God says, not only do I care about the people in Nineveh, but all of their cows as well. Yeah. (laughs) And, but here's the thing, but the song is also about what's special about people. Right. And so that they, they, they build temples that they, even when they mourn, uh, they consider themselves blessed. Yeah. I mean, it's faith, right? Like this is not a great, I'm a, I'm a genial atheist myself. Okay. Um, and, I, but, you know, I, I'm a very bitter Methodist, so okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll get along just fine. Yeah, and... like I, I, I used to work in a very progressive and, you know, kind of borderline interdenominational Episcopalian church in San Francisco. I, I grew up going to a very progressive Episcopalian church in San Francisco. Uh-huh. You know, my bishop was gay in 1986 when I was There playing. you go. Um and so I don't, I don't have strong, I don't have any, other than not believing in God, I don't have any strong anti-religious <laughs> feelings. Um, I generally, found, it was generally a force for good in my life. Okay. Um, and, uh, but like the thing that is, the thing that is special to God about human being isn't even that they celebrate him, right? It is that like that is fine like but there's no like you know a lot of liturgy is about praising him you know yeah yeah and like that isn't the central thing here for god the central yeah he's not real impressed with the temples yeah he doesn't he doesn't care about anything what he cares about is that these people believe mm. And it doesn't even, I don't like, I don't even know that my, this is my feeling about it. It might not even be supported by the text, but like, it's not necessarily even that to me that they believe in him. It's that they believe in something, right? Yeah. That 
they are both able to see that he doesn't care about them in that sense that we described. Or at least that if they can't see that if they can't see what he describes, they can at least see the cruelty that ensues from it. Right. Yeah. That there's wars and children die and whatever, <laughs> you know, wars, children die, whatever. Yeah. yeah all that's, um, uh, you know, like when you're really itchy, but you can't seem to. So I would say number one, wars, number two, children dying. Number three, like a difficult to placate itch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the big three. Um, but like he, he's not like, what he cares about is that human beings see that and nonetheless pursue truth, pursue reverence, mm-hmm. you know, have faith, right? And yeah. that is like, you know, that is a, I don't think that that is a, unique insight to Randy Newman, the idea that faith is central to Christianity. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that's come up before. Yeah. Or even that faith is the answer to the paradox of, um, faith is the answer to to the paradox of why there is darkness in the world when there's an all powerful and loving God. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that faith cannot exist without a challenge to faith, I think is a, you know, that's a, that's some <laughs> pretty basic bitch theology um <laughs> but like uh the thing that is so extraordinary to me about this song is that it takes this idea that is the most abstract idea that could exist in the world and it makes god relatable <laughs> mm. without diminishing him you know like the, i don't feel like there is a diminishment of of, of divinity. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It is, it is Randy Newman's kind of ease and obvious decency that carry this idea that God really does love us, mm-hmm. that both despite and because of it all, God actually loves us. Wow. Or even if he doesn't exist, that it's still worth believing. The, yeah. That the concept inspires people to kindness yeah or it and and frankly like it feels to me inclusive even of a belief in divinity that is outside of the idea of a christian god or even god well that that, that's the line that makes me laugh uh in this song is that even in this time of utter crisis they're not letting the Buddhists and the Hindus in their building. <laughs> they have they have to zoom in on satellite TV. But so like it's like they, you know, there there's only so far we're gonna go with this <laughs> ecumenical desperational call to God. But like the idea that it's a jamboree. Yes. Like that's God that's God just smiling, you know? Like that's the idea that God really is, really is charmed by us, and the fact that we are really, we're really giving it our all, <laughs> you know. And I think that is an argument for giving it your all, whether it's be, having a faith in a Christian God or or in some other way, you know, in some other form. Uh, it is, it is that idea of like of of being willing to commit your heart to wandering through the desert, you know, in search of 
a way to be better in the world. Has the pandemic changed the context of this song for you? The the whole line about a plague is on the land. Uh, that 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 was always something that was kind of this abstract thing. Uh, but the, the as I've listened to it the last couple of years, it's like okay, we've got people who are, which is true throughout history. Anytime there's a pestilence, you know, it, it's a crisis of faith. Uh, yeah, and, I mean, yeah. I think the the feeling that you get from the pandemic that might not have been so relatable previously is the idea that the that the world itself is set against humanity, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like not just like not like the thing about a plague is it's like not even it's not even an enemy. It is a miasma. It is something that is surrounds us. Yeah. It comes from people and the earth. Like it's not even a, you know, it's different even than a, a, a natural disaster, which at least is concrete, you know? And, you know, has a clear beginning and ending. Yeah. Yeah. And, and comes from, you know, your enemy can always be <laughs> the earth. <laughs> <laughs> you can try and, you know, you can always try and blow up the moon or whatever. Um, yeah. I think, I, I think a plague is a particular is a very particular kind of thing. Um, but, you know, like, it's all the things, right? It's a really lovely description of all the things. The idea that even, like, even the corporeal representations of our faith are actually meaningless, right? Like, we build the temples and they crumble to the sea. Right. Um, that actually it is the incorporeal, the you know, the ineffable, the, the, the magical, the faithful, the things that we believe exist, even though we have no evidence that are the things that remain. Yeah. Wow. Okay, folks, go, go listen to that song again, because now that's what I'm going to be doing all day. But uh, I mean, so, let, let me say this, like, yeah, yeah. would you, would that message land in the same way if you were hearing it from, you know, Kirk Franklin? Like Kirk Franklin is a, obviously legendary preach, preacher, a legendary gospel musician, right? Mm -hmm. And he could make a song about this, but this isn't a message that can be carried by preach preacher. You know what I no, mean? This no, isn't a message that can be carried by let the congregation hear it, you know, or let me hear it from a congregation. This is special to Randy Newman's gift, which is not understatement, but... Um, but a kind of like bemusement, you know, a kind of like, well, here we are in the world, you know, get a load of that. And that is the thing that's right about that, that family guy thing. There is always a kind of like, well, here we are. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I love the thought of uh, you know, looking at it from uh, not, not a disinterested party, but, but a, a distant party that, that we are this, this little cactus flower trying to understand the universe. Um, yeah. And that, that is, that is that like that we can be both meaningless and meaningful is so beautiful. You know, that is beautiful. My goodness. You killed it, man. That Dead. is fantastic. No one will ever listen to the song again. <laughs> no one will ever listen to this podcast again. <laughs> Spin the wheel, spin the wheel. All right, well, let's spin the real wheel real quick and see what our, our random song generator comes up with. Here's Paul McCartney talking about Simon Smith. All right, so you can see that 
green spinning wheel there. Just yell stop whenever you're ready and let's see what we're talking about. Spin the wheel, spin the wheel, spin the wheel of Randy. Spin the wheel, spin the wheel, spin the wheel of Randy. Stop. Oh my goodness. Oh, easy peasy lemon squeezy. All huh? right. This will be fast. All right. We've landed on I Love LA, which I don't think has ever, I don't think the wheel has ever landed on that before. Um, okay. I, I know you've asked Randy this yourself, but I, and, but I, I want your, your question. You know, he says that it's 50% sincere, 50% ironic. Uh, what, what, what's your take on it? Well, you know, like when you live in Los Angeles, which I do, you know they play i love la anytime a sports team wins anytime like it is so it has such a direct role in like uh, (laughs) other than you know other than uh, california love or whatever (laughs) like there's really no more la la song that la people use to celebrate la right right like it is true. It is like the I left my heart in San Francisco of L.A. Only I left my heart in San Francisco, while it is kind of a weird song in the sense that it just kind of wanders down a road for three minutes. It doesn't really have any structure that <laughs> you may not have ever noticed about. I left my heart in San Francisco because Tony Bennett's so great. But like, uh-huh. it is a weird it is a weird meandering song that uh, doesn't really have a chorus, um, sometimes doesn't rhyme. Um, but anyway. Uh, like I love LA like plays and people just like celebrate, like celebrate it. Like it's a normal song, you know, like it right. was like a black eyed peas song. Uh-huh, you know what I mean, uh-huh. I don't have a problem with the black. I kind of like the black eyed peas, but like, it's basically like if they just played, let's get it started. That's the same kind of reaction. <laughs> as <laughs> I love LA gets in LA and I'm from San Francisco where, you know, the only, you know, the only real cultural force that is, endemic to the city is contempt for los angeles (laughs) you know like maybe like it's it's okay to be gay but like besides that right like there's really nothing that that binds san franciscans together like a sort of like like a little brother syndrome about los angeles and like a lot of the things that people in san francisco hate la about are totally right like as a native san franciscan who's lived in la a long time like there's a lot of things about LA that suck. Um, and, but you know, it also, it's a huge place that contains so much incredible magic, you know, it's such an amazing place and it's not what you imagine it is or know it to be when you grew up in San Francisco. Mm. And I think that I love LA is the song that, and you know, like it's a particular kind of LA, right? Like it's, this is about, like a lot of Randy, you know, Randy Newman is a West side, uh, you know, that might not be a distinction for, um, people who don't live in LA, but like there are, there are West side LA things and East side LA things and East LA things, right? East LA is a world that's almost remains even now, almost exclusively Mexican American Mm -hmm. is very culturally distinctive, pretty awesome and incredible and has nothing to do with most of the stuff that is associated with LA culturally West side LA stuff is most of the stuff that people think of when they think of LA Rodeo drive type stuff, you know, palm trees, beaches, those things, rich white people who don't care about anything and drink a lot of smoothies. Um, Those things really do exist and they mostly exist on the West side of LA. And this is a song that's mostly about that, you know, but 
it is both about the grotesquerie of L.A., which L.A. is grotesque, but it is also about how fun that is. Like it. Yeah. What's what's wrong with with taking the top down and listening to the Beach Boys? Yeah. I mean, the Beach Boys rule. Sure. Like the Beach Boys are awesome. And you don't you don't even have to like, honestly, I like Kokomo. <laughs> like, okay well all right i'm like like i look i i i love i i love the weirder and more artsy beach boys stuff yeah but, but like he, he's not I going also, around listening to caroline no in, in this car right right there's nothing wrong with the, like every song that they try when they were just exclusively just trying to make phil Spector songs but about surfing uh-huh. like all of those are great that's why they were huge hit songs. Um, and, you know, there's something to be said for Brian Wilson just writing a song about how you should take care of, take better care of your feet. <laughs> but it's literally about that. But, mm. like, also... Or eating yeah. your vegetables. Yeah, exactly. But, like, the, the literalism, uh, uh, the, the sort of, like, fantasy world element of L.A., you know, it, it's celebrated because it's there's great things about it. Like, the fact that there's secrets behind white picket fences in the suburbs is no longer an American insight. You know what I mean? Like we figured that out in 1957. Yep. I I think that like the idea of a big nasty redhead. Okay. Time out. We've got to talk about the big nasty redhead because that is her, that actress, that is her one screen credit. (laughs) I have been trying to the limits of human decency. I've been trying to get her on this show. (laughs) I mean, like, so it's all colored by the fact that, like, Randy Newman is not the Beach Boys and could never be. Right. Randy Newman is a Jew Mm -hmm. who looks Jewish. He is a... He's frumpy in his least frumpy moments. He is... He is, like... He is an actual Hollywood insider. Right. He's not... He's, he doesn't live in an imaginary world. He lives in an actual Hollywood world, right? Right, like, right. He comes from Hollywood royalty. He grew up in the west side of Los Angeles. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't grow up a, a rich person, but, like, he also wasn't going hungry or anything. Right, right. And he could go hang out with his uncle in the studio lot whenever he wanted. Um, so, like, it is it is a takedown of that idea of Los Angeles and the grotesquerie of Los Angeles. But in some ways it's like an acknowledgement of the grotesquerie of Los Angeles, which is what is required to enjoy living in Los Angeles, which is an extraordinary place. Mm. Like, you know, I'm not going to start listing American cities that are like, (laughs) like Los Angeles only without the cool parts, (laughs) (laughs) but there are plenty of them. Sure. (laughs) You know, like the things that are the things that are make Los Angeles difficult to live in in the 21st century, um, you know, sprawl and stuff like they're not exclusive to L.A. No, not at all. Neither are, you know, self-regard or hedonism. Mm -hmm. Um, And like it's a jam. Like I Love L.A. was a hit song because because it goes because it's a fun song. (laughs) It's fun to listen to, you know, like it's like. you know, like I would say in some ways it like its closest descendant is like California Girls by Katy Perry. Right. Right. Like Katy Perry is 
you know, Katy Perry is a, an artist of, of kitsch and camp, right? Right. But not, you know, not in a 70s way, um, in a way that is, you know, our ideas about kitchen camp have moved far beyond that at this point. Sure. And like, she is just like, she's just like, yeah, well, like California is embarrassing, at least the, the mythical idea of California. Right. But it's also great. Also, wouldn't it be great if a shark could dance? <laughs> right. Like that's a, that's a great, that's a great comparison between the two of them. And yeah. like that, you know, the Randy Newman is one generation behind that in that, like his, the irony is more, um, you know, it's more explicit. And right. like, there's a fundamental irony of the fact that um, he is a schlub. And it shows him driving around at the video. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. <laughs> he's not fooling anybody into thinking no. he's Bruce Springsteen. Um, but, like, it also is about, like, isn't it great that a gross schlub, he's, I don't think he's gross. He's actually pretty good looking and uh, of a guy. You know what I mean? But, but, but like, the, the character Randy Newman is a right. gross schlub. Yes. And, like, is, can have this. Yeah. You know, in that way, we can all we can all have that, you know, thanks to the shamelessness of Los Angeles. And like long ago, I made up this joke philosophy, which is called the new sincerity, which is basically just about it's not a direct embrace of sincerity. It's basically a release of the demands of coolness, uh, which says that, like, actually being Dolly Parton or being George Clinton is the best thing to be yeah. like to just put it all out there I uh, love that. and be bigger than you need to be because why not? Right. And, and, you know, maybe if you go hard to the hoop, you can back it up, you know? What I mean? <laughs> um, and that to me is sort of like ultimately what Randy Newman, that song is about. And like what, um, what is the telling detail that he brought up is that when they, when they're doing call and response of the streets, they are just the most quotidian streets in Los Angeles. <laughs> just, you know, like yeah. it's not on Broadway. It's the opposite. These are just like streets with mattress stores on them <laughs> that, that he is like giving the call and response to that, that are getting the shout outs. It's a, it's a great jam. Anyway, my friend just showed up at the door. So I think that's my cue to go. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you so much for, for doing this, Jesse. Uh, I'm going to send you a link to, to part of this. that uh, We're featuring a cover every week. And this week we have Morrissey doing Simon Smith and the Amazing Dancing Bear. <laughs> Gosh, it's I not that. to be missed. Thank you so much, Jesse. Uh, what, what, what's the best place for people to get hold of you? Well, people can find all, all my work at MaximumFun.org. Uh, but, you know, if they're a Randy Newman fan, they should listen to my interview with Randy Newman on Bullseye. If you just search for Bullseye Randy Newman, you'll find it. It's on 
YouTube or you can get it in your podcast app on Bullseye. And, um, you and, know, and, if they if they want to hear me make dumb jokes, they can listen to Jordan Jesse go. There you go. And we have a link to that interview in the show notes. Thank you so much, Jesse. You're the best. You bet. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for another episode of Wheel of Randy. We are part of the Good Trash Media Network. Be sure to check out our sister shows, I guess. Uh, Praise Down and Good Trash Genre Cast. Uh, special thanks to everyone who has contributed music in the past few days. Special thanks to Brian Mays for our artwork. You can check him out on Facebook at Brian Mays Art. And... Uh, Spotify sucks. See you next time. Bye. Spin the wheel of Randy.